What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of horrible horror movies. Well, why do I do it? Well, can't really explain it, but I love these horrible films. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects from Guyver style, please send it over my way. Now, what do you get when you take a beloved uh, creator of such things as Buffy the Vampire Slayer? You don't get uh, the directors that you want to direct the movie and instead have a director that primarily only speaks in French uh, direct it for you. Why you get Alien Resurrection. And this time, it's the director's cut. Hello there. We're back for another episode, and before we move on, I gotta have a little bit of disclaimer uh, from what I intended to do for this month versus uh, what actually ended up happening. See, at the end of the last episode, uh, I spoke about watching this film, Alien Resurrection, and it wasn't originally the intention. The intention was actually to do a whole month dedicated to uh, our good old friend Jason and Friday the 13th movies, Uh, but somebody fucked up and wasn't thinking and so this film that we're going to be discussing is alien resurrection but know that we are going to do some friday the 13th movies so look forward to that as well and we'll talk about what we're going to be watching next at the end of this episode so hint hint wink wink you'll see what we're going to be doing uh for the next episode so let's talk a little bit about the version of the film that i saw for this episode of the podcast and originally, I was going to watch the original, but uh, I happened to come upon the what they consider to be the director's cut. So this does have an extra bit, and it's weird that it's called the director's cut, because not even the director considers this to be the director's cut. He actually considers the theatrical cut of the film to be the actual film. So there is a different ending on this uh, compared to what was on the original. Uh, and there's about 13 minutes or 14 minutes of extra scenes uh, here and there. And I can kind of tell you with the special features um, that 
<clears throat> and the special feature, I should say, was released or edition was released in 2003. And it has references to Newt from Aliens. Uh, it has a some joking uh, little scenes going back to Winona Ryder's character. There's an extended scene inside the church uh, towards the end of the film. Like I said, there is a uh, newer ending where they actually land on Earth. So I'm going to be talking about those things throughout this review. Uh, but you're not really missing much. Most of the film, you know, is intact. There's nothing that's really been changed that much from it. It's maybe a little more insight. And honestly, I think it makes the film drag a little bit more than it already does. Um, and you're going to see that's going to be a common theme for me here with this version of the film. Because not this version, but this film in general. Because I'm a very big fan of the alien franchise i mean i saw some of these pretty late but i remember this one being the first one that i actually saw in the theaters uh with my folks because it did come out in 97 and you know i was 17 at the time so it's not you know terrible for me to go see it i can handle that but with alien 3 aliens especially with aliens i can remember seeing that film uh when i was very young with my cousins who were much younger than me uh, and they were all excited and gung-ho, and I was fucking, like, cowering in the corner. And Aliens is basically just an action film with some things kind of thrown into it. You know, there are horror aspects of it, but it's more of an action film than the original, which is straight up a horror movie. It's a sci-fi horror if you've ever seen one before. So, I I didn't really get into the seeing them in the theater until this film. And even when I saw this film, I remember laughing uncontrollably at a couple of scenes. Uh, and there's definitely one particular that we'll talk about uh, as this moves along. So, uh, without further ado, let's get this film started. So, this version of the film does open a little differently. It opens what you think to be like an alien mouth. And you kind of heard it during the theme that we were, or that I played uh, a little while ago. And it's kind of, you know, you hear the rah, rah. And it turns out to be a bug on top of a guy's face, which he flicks in you know, into the screen, and we move on from there. Then we come into uh, the ship itself, or the space station, whatever you want to call it. I kind of see it more as a ship. Um, and honestly, with the intro, I thought for a second I was watching Spaceballs. Because it takes so long for you to see the full ship until we actually go inside of it, that I was just waiting for it to just keep going. Dunna, dunna, dunna. You know, I'm not trying to get close to the sharks, the uh, sharks, <laughs> the Jaws theme. Um, but that's really what I felt. I'm sitting there, I'm watching, and I'm just like, I'm waiting for the plate that says "We break for no one," you know, or that, and maybe Pizza Hut's gonna come out. But I think he ate himself to death. Anyway, so we go inside the the ship, and we're treated to a scene of a clone inside of a test tube well not really like a small test tube but just like a you know most giant like uh, hibernation type tubes that you see in a lot of sci-fi films we then get a voiceover directly from ripley herself my mommy always said there were no monsters no real ones but there are i should also go to say that uh during the credits we're shown that josh whedon uh, is the one that wrote this in which I guess the studios were very impressed with the stuff that he was writing. And so they asked him to write for this film. 
And this is one of his first. And, and yes, this is the same Joss Whedon, for those that don't know, maybe you don't, uh, but I'm pretty sure you do. Uh, one of the more famous things that he wrote was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, he's also done things like Firefly uh, and uh, The Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. I mean, those are probably the two biggest films. And I think he probably learned a lot about writing uh, specifically films, maybe from this movie. Uh, but there's definitely a lag in where it shows. And this was also directed by uh, a man with the last name of Genoa. I can't remember the first name off the top of my head. But I do know that in the beginning, they were trying to get either Brian Singer or Daniel Boyd to come in and direct it. And originally, Daniel Boyd had no interest in anything to do with Alien, so he wrote it off. And then Brian Singer just wasn't available. So instead, we got, you know, this guy to come in, and he really didn't understand why there needed to be another uh, Alien movie, uh, but he took it, I guess, probably just as a paycheck. Uh, he also wrote Amelie, which is a fantastic film uh, from around that time. Uh, and this is, well, Amelie came much later. He finished the script for it, I should say. And But this, it was difficult to work with him because he required a translator with him at all times. So when you're watching this film, you got to remember that this they were getting direction from a translator from a guy that doesn't speak any English. So I imagine that it must have been very difficult to work with. And it definitely kind of shows in the way that everybody acts in this film. Because it goes from way over the top to wooden to creepy as shit. And it makes no sense when it's creepy as shit. So after we see Ripley inside uh, of her test tube, we're then uh, shown them trying to open her up on a operating table. And what they're doing is they're taking a chestburster out of her. They finally do take it out of her. They ask if they can keep Ripley around. To which they say, yeah, sure, you can go ahead and keep her. Uh, and this is one of the small scenes that's different in the film. Uh, originally it was taken out that she attacks the people... Uh, that have operated on her. But she manages to wake up during the middle of the surgery in the director's cut of the film, or the special edition. Maybe that's what we should say from now on. Uh, and almost like tears people apart. Um, it's pretty quick, pretty crazy. And then we go back to see more naked Sigourney Weaver. Uh, and she's in some weird sort of cocoon condom thing on the floor. And she's like breaking out of it. It's kind of artistic. But I don't understand what exactly it's doing in this film. It really makes no sense why we need to see her down there like that. Uh, and I wish that that part wasn't part of the original cut. But that part actually is when they put her back down there. It's weird. It's just kind of one of those scenes where you're like, okay, maybe you want to be a little artsy with this. But I don't really need to see Naked Sigourney Weaver at this point. Not in this point in her career. I mean, she's always been, up until some point, uh, a pretty good-looking woman. But, honestly, a little manly. Um, maybe it's just not my cup of tea. But, you know, this is my favorite character that she's ever done besides Ghostbusters. So, and the other thing that was pointed out to me while I was watching this film is that she's already got black nail polish on. Like, at this point. 
And I don't think that it's meant to be nail polish. I think it's meant to give you a hint at something later. But it looks very jarring, and it's definitely nail polish. Like, she came out, or she was grown in a specific way, that her nails were painted perfectly. They're really nicely manicured. Uh, you know, they're just uh, nice, flat, uh, matte black. There's no gloss to it. It's not like she used a gel or anything. We all down over to her arm, and she's looking at it, and she kind of wipes it. And you see a tattoo on her, and it's a tattoo of the number 8. It doesn't really look like a tattoo. It looks like it's been mostly burned into her skin. Or it's possibly that it's just a part of her. We don't know yet. Um, so we then cut back uh, to the doctors working on her. Uh, well, they're giving her a physical exam, making sure that everything's going okay. And it's actually the creepy doctor uh, that was originally working on her. See, there's two that are there. There's this guy with the ponytail, and then there's Zen. Uh, Zen has a much bigger role in the film. This guy is just kind of there to be a creepster and flashes teeth every once in a while. But So at least they're smart about it and they have Ripley and she's all chained up to the, the table so that way she can't get away. Zen comes in and the two doctors have a little bit of a conversation. How is our number eight today? Appears to be in good health. Hmm? How good? Excellent. As in completely off our projected charts. Look at the scar tissue. See the recession? This is from three days ago? Exactly. Oh, this is good. This is very good. You're going to make us all very proud. It's at that moment that she's able to actually bust through restraints and start choking the shit out of Ren. Now, if I were them, I wouldn't have really trusted her in the first place. Since she woke up during surgery and she freaking, like, was able to start <laughs> choking somebody else out there until they put her to sleep. So, I understand there was some type of precaution taken, but maybe you restrain her better than just a small chain to handcuffs. And she's able to take her hand still freely and wrap them around your fat ass neck. Like if you know how big your neck is, maybe you don't let her have uh, as much of a reach. I'm just saying, take precautions. They also talk about her like she's a piece of meat. And that she's going to be some sort of, you know, savior for them in terms of their scientific uh, explorations. Like there's something special about her. Well, honestly, she's able to regenerate from the surgery that she had and no scar tissue. So that's kind of weird, right? Because if we're looking at Ripley here, there's never been anything type of special or supernatural about her. So what the hell is actually going on at this point? We have another scene where she's doing some type of word association with flashcards. There's a doctor across the way, and there's Ripley. She's sitting there, and she's showing her a picture, and she's saying, you know, it's a picture of a glove. So she says, hand. She's all, very close. It's glove. You know, trying to test her motor skills out to make sure that she's still cognitive and that she's learning. Which, again, is weird because we go from, like, kind of young Ripley to old Ripley to Ripley getting a chest burst taken out of her to uh, she's learning. So, was the growth rate so accelerated to the point that maybe she's only been in there a couple of days? I know they said there was three days from the scar tissue being uh, healed up. But it doesn't make any sense at this point how, you know, how long did she take to go from uh, fetus and test tube to the Ripley that we see before us, who's obviously in her 40s. I, I don't know. 
you know, we'll we'll see what happens with the rest of the film. See if they ever explain those type of things. Uh, but I doubt that they're going to. So they're showing uh, you. You're seeing Ripley go back and forth with the Doctor, and that's when we finally meet Perez, who is the uh, chief engineer or the captain of the ship, I should say. And he's talking with both Ren and our weirdo Doctor here about Ripley and her evolution. It's unprecedented. Totally. She's operating at a completely adult capacity. What about her memories? There are gaps, some degree of synaptic dissonance. She's freaked. It has connective difficulties caused by a biochemical imbalance causing emotional autism, certain reactions. Wait a second. It has memories. Why does it have memories? Well, I'm guessing, but... Inherited memories passed down generationally at a genetic level by the aliens like its strength. Plus a uh, highly evolved form of instinct. So, here's our first stance. We have overactor extreme here in the center. Where it seems like every time he's on scene, at some point he's got to raise his voice really loud. You know, you got to put that weird emphasis. He can be talking for a second, you know. Oh, man, I really want some French toast. French toast! You know, that's the type of, like, (laughs) dialogue that he's got. And it drives me fucking crazy. And then you have the two doctors, especially Ren from most of the movie. He talks like this. He almost sounds like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, man. Put the lotion in the basket. Put the lotion in the basket. Put the alien in the fucking basket. You know, that type of... (laughs) dialogue that we have in this movie that type of acting it's one or the other and there's going to be somebody else in this film that's coming up soon who i love to death uh as an actor whose freaking role in this movie is almost similar to perez's so they keep talking uh and they start walking uh down the hall and and before that there is a uh image that Ripley is shown of a little girl and it kind of reminds her of Newt and if anybody has seen the previous uh, movies we all know that Newt died at the beginning of Alien 3 uh, before Ripley was put into that prison Uh, I definitely think that if you have a chance and you haven't seen the other films I wouldn't jump into this one right away you can it's very standalone you can kind of get the general uh, synopsis of everything but it's kind of cool to see how everything's gone um and there, I'll make a comparison between this and Alien Three because a lot of people don't like either. Um, and uh, but let's let's just continue on with the way this film's working. So they're going down the hall and they continue their conversation about Ripley. You're not thinking termination. Oh boy, am I thinking termination, General? We do not perceive this to be a problem. Ellen Ripley died trying to wipe this species out. For all intents and purposes, she succeeded. I'm not anxious to see her taking up her old hobbies. That won't happen. We won't tell her. Oh, I see. And that's supposed to comfort me. Okay, and there's this weird break at this point. And, okay, let's let's start with the first thing. We're just not going to tell her that she used to be herself. You don't think that she's having memories. And she can remember things that she's seen. And she can remember things of what's happened. And she's got some weird fucking link to the aliens that are there. They don't... Quite explain it right now, uh, but you can tell that she feels something. She knows something exists, and that comes uh, again in just a little bit. But the fact that oh, we're just not going to tell her anything, and it's going to be fine. Really, 
So she's having memories. You know she's having memories. She's eventually going to remember that she's fucking Ripley. Okay? But you're still just not going to tell her that, oh, no, 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 no. You're just crazy. She died a long time ago. Don't worry about it. You're not, like, reincarnated or anything. I just... That gets me. And then what gets me here, too, is the technology that is used to open up the lock of this door that they just stopped at. So they're walking down the hall. They're going in. They're basically going to go and see the queen that they extracted from Ripley. And if you don't know that as a queen, I'm not ruining anything for you. You should be able to see it and say, hey, that's a queen. Um, But to get into the room, he has to breathe. He has to breathe on the lock. So his stank-ass breath is what opens the damn door. And he doesn't have to do it once, he does it twice, because the first time it doesn't recognize him. Because it doesn't quite smell like him. So, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Like, we've come, you know, if this is 200 years past the original movie, uh, the biggest technology that they've created are breath locks. So, if you're able to get, you know, somebody's breath in a can, maybe you could, like, spray it and then you could open up the damn lock. I... <laughs> That seems like the stupidest thing that they could possibly do for the for anything later in this film. <sighs> anyway, so after we we finish talking with uh, and seeing the queen for the first time, we go uh, back into uh, well, we go and we see creepy doctor talking with Ripley, and she realizes that it was a queen insider and gives her opinion about what they're doing. How did you? How did we get you? Hard work. We used blood samples from Fiori 16 on ice where you died. We've remade you. We cloned you. Fiori 16. Does that ring a bell? Are you remembering something? Does it grow? Yeah. Very rapidly. It's a queen. How did you know that? She'll breed. You'll die. So the moral of the story is that everybody's just going to fucking die. You somehow bring aliens back. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say aliens. You bring the xenomorphs back and you're going to end up killing everybody. Or at least yourself, or at least the people on the the bridge, uh, or inside the ship. And I should say, at one point towards the beginning, when they actually put the name of the ship out there, they actually put how much crew on it. And I was thinking to myself, oh, hey, that's the amount of people that are going to die in this movie. And, uh, sadly, I was wrong. But at least this film is rated R. It's not one of those PG-13 vehicles where they're trying to get all the kiddies inside the theater, yet show really gratuitous amounts of violence, but the moment that they say fuck or shit or whatever they decide to say, that you can limit to like once or twice in a film. Honestly, just have them swear more and put the more violence in it and, you know, don't make it so cartoony. Uh, so, they're talking, Ren shows up, and... He starts talking about more about how they're going to start getting the aliens together. Uh, you know, they're trying to breed them, of course. It's always the military trying to breed them, to use them as a weapon, think that they can control these xenomorphs, and honestly, they can't. 
And that's always what Ripley is trying to tell them in every one of these films. But nobody ever fucking listens to Ripley. Though, you know, by now, I think that you finally would. Considering that she's survived, uh, you know, the one attack, the multiple aliens and different types of aliens uh, attack, or xenomorphs again, I should say. Then she survived the dog uh, xenomorph in the third one and killed herself so that nobody else have the weapon. And here she is being brought back to life and they're creating weapons again. So she doubts the fact that these people can train them. But of course, Ren has other opinions about it. Unbelievable. Once we've tamed them. <laughs> Roll over, play dead, heal. Mm-hmm. You can't teach it tricks. Why not? We're teaching you. Okay, that was a pretty sick burn right there. Because she really is like learning her instincts back and but at the same time she's kind of gaining them on their own as well you know she's not really doing a whole lot uh through them though they have been helping her get back her basic motor skills and training her somewhat plus i think there might be the ones that taught her how to ball but we'll find out more about that later we then cut into the betty where we meet our next ragtag group of heroes so we've got Elgin, who is the captain of the ship and the main pilot of the ship. Then you have his right-hand assistant pilot in Hillard, who's also romantically involved with the captain. You also have Christy, who's the first mate uh, and one of the better shots in the movie. Joner, uh, who is played by Ron Perlman. Uh, that is my one of my favorite actors uh, out there. Uh, and not just for, you know, his roles in, like, Sons of Anarchy or like that, but a lot of the stuff that he does with Guillermo del Toro, especially Hellboy, is one of my favorite characters that he does. But he is also known to overacting, which he is that character in this film that is just like Perez. He's either kind of calm or he decides that he's going to shout everything that he has to say. Uh, you also have uh, Virus, uh, who is the ship's mechanic, who works alongside Call, uh, who is played by Winona Ryder in her most whiniest fucking role that you could ever have in a fucking movie. Uh, honestly, she, like, every time it's like just somebody fucking pouting. Like, no, we're not gonna do this. Man, you'll hear it. You'll definitely hear it. And if I'm fucking wrong, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Because honestly, she just starts, she goes from being like kind of okay to being like just fucking whiny complaining bitch all the fucking time. And it makes sense towards the end of the movie, but like for the character maybe, but really you don't need to be like that all the goddamn time. So they're all coming in and they're bringing special cargo that's going to be going into the ship. Uh, that's going to be used for the military that's there. What is it? We don't know. But they, you know, I'm pretty sure that we'll find out exactly what they're going to do with it later. So they enter the ship, and we find out that Elgin and Perez used to be some type of good old chums. Nice welcome, Perez. The hell is this? Are you afraid the six of us are going to hijack your damn ship or what? Just a minor concern that one of your asshole crew members is going to get drunk and put a bullet through the hull. Uh, we happen to be in space, ultimately. No shit. How you been? So, 
What I've also forgot to talk about that I wanted to speak about while they're on the ship is at one point when they're fading up into seeing the different characters in there, there's a game that's being played. And it looks like it's an old Star Trek game. like Or at least it's a Star Trek, because it looks like there's a bird of prey that's going in there. And for being futuristic, it is an old fucking game. Uh, <laughs> I think that's like kind of like a pet peeve when it comes to like sci-fi or sci-fi horror films. Uh, in some cases, if it's within the time, it makes sense. Something like the um, Last Starfighter, where first film to really use cg as a big part of the film and not just to kind of help with backgrounds and stuff like that but really use the special effects forefront the game that they play it makes sense for the time that the movie takes place in so whenever you watch it you're always going to see it and it's always going to be oh okay that kind of makes sense uh you can see that type of game being played uh whereas with this film i mean they're using something that's uh current day 97 so it's probably something that's like a playstation game uh to show you that there there's a futuristic video game on top of their ship i understand maybe the technology is not there but maybe you just don't show it i mean i'm not sure why it's even being faded up from there that's some type of you know choice the director is doing but it it's just a little pet peeve of mine that i cannot let go of so they check everybody in and uh, they think that they might have weapons on them. But turns out none of them do. Uh, even uh, Ron Perlman's character, you know, he's got some really strong ass alcohol, I guess. To be like one of those hot beverage containers that you would get. Those thermoses that you would get uh, in your you know old lunchbox. But in those nice big metal ones. Uh, and so, of course, everybody passes through. And they bring their cargo along with them. And there's a certain point where they can't move any further. Uh, and they're forced to kind of go off on their own. But we go back into Perez's office. And Elgin and Perez are discussing what's you know what they're bringing. He knows exactly what's in the cargo. So he tries to get a little more out of Perez. Uh, so that you know maybe they don't have to go away really soon. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh... I was under the impression that uh, most uh, army medical labs don't have to operate outside of regulated space. What do you want, Elgin? What can I do for you? Me? Yeah. Oh, two days, bed and board. You know, Rach might want to snag a part here or there, whatever. I mean, uh, if it's not imposing. I don't see any problem. Couple of conditions, though. Ah, conditions. Not you. Nor any of your formidable crew members will go anywhere near restricted areas. Rule number two, no trouble. Good behavior. Good behavior. No fights. No fights. No fights. No fights. Mikasa is Sukasa. So... Let me get this straight. He knows that something's going wrong. And it's obvious that Perez knows that they brought something on the ship. Because when they originally were talking, they were like, I don't want any of your guys to have any weapons because one of your idiots might shoot through the hole. You know, so I'm pretty sure that you know that there are actual weapons still on this ship with those guys. Come on, you can't be that fucking stupid. Second, he doesn't want them to cause any type of trouble, any type of fights. Okay, I guess that's simple enough, but 
you know, why would you be hiring these guys if you know they're such a big liability? That's probably my biggest issue with it. But again, maybe they're the only types of people that could, you know, bring in that type of, uh, you know, cargo for you. You know, it's got to be backhand, you know, on the black market. So maybe it does make more sense than I'm giving it credit for. Well, so we then cut over to one of the most... Well, before we cut over to one of the most ridiculous scenes in the entire fucking movie, we do get to see what the cargo is, and it turns out that it's people. And they're all being lined up in front of uh, Xenomorph eggs. And everything starts to open, and we see some of the guys start to wake up as the face huggers are basically going to be jumping out and impregnate the uh, poor dudes uh, and dudettes that are being forced uh by the military i mean that's pretty fucked up you're gonna hijack people maybe they're prisoners maybe you know there's something that nobody's gonna ever uh think that you know they're never gonna find these people so hey we can go ahead and just put aliens in their bodies either way it's kind of a dick move guys it's kind of a real big dick move so now is the most ridiculous moment in the film, and I'm not sure why it was put in there. Because it really... I've posted a clip of this to the Facebook page, and everybody can kind of make their opinion about it, but it definitely is the worst part of the film for me. And this is the scene that I entitled Ripley Can Ball. Because she's there, and you open on her dribbling, and she shoots the basketball, and it goes in the hoop... Uh, and then the crew from the Betty shows up. Now, there's some automatic, like, sexual tension between Ron Perlman and Sigourney Weaver. And, again, I don't think I ever want to see that again. I love you, Ron. I love you, Sigourney. I don't love the two of you together. Ugh. So, <laughs> they start dancing around with Ron Perlman wanting to get the ball because he wants to do some one-on-one with her. Of course, this is not like a Jordan versus Bird type of situation, but more like a I want to fuck you, uh, and I'm using basketball as the analogy. So we'll play some one-on-one, then I'll get you one-on-one if you get what I mean. Girl, you must be Jamaican, because Jamaican be crazy. Aw, yeah. Okay, I'm sure that Ron Perlman wouldn't have had to use any type of line like that. Uh, especially to get Sigourney Weaver. Well, maybe to get Sigourney Weaver. She might play a little hard to get in this situation. But, you know, she shows them up. Uh, she starts to get them all riled up. And, of course, they, they randomly start a fight. So rule number two has already been fucking broken. That means these guys should be kicked out the fucking ship, right? But, of course not. Uh, she's able to handle them. Ren and Creepo Doctor walk in uh, while they're having the fight. And she takes a weight to the face. Uh, I mean, basically a dumbbell takes it right to the fucking face, is able to stay up. And she smacks the hell of Christy, who was the one who tried to hit her in the face with the dumbbell and take her down in the first place. Because she took down Ron Perlman really fast and really hard. So she walks away, and of course as she's walking away, she tosses the basketball behind her and swish, it goes through the hoop. Now, supposedly, I think they were saying that Sigourney Weaver actually did that and mostly improved that last scene and it went in, so they kept it. But, again, I really don't know, other than to be like, oh, look at her, she's a badass, uh, that, one, she can take a punch, 
and two that when she wipes off the blood and they throw it on the floor it starts to disintegrate through the floor so obviously her blood is acid and if you put two and two together that means that she's done more drugs than keith richards ever has in his life maybe keith richards and ozzy osbourne combined or that some of the alien dna is actually inside of her body and she's gained some of the strengths of being a xenomorph I'm leaning a little more towards one. I think that she's just done some really good acid and it's just staying in her system. And if those guys, you know, take a little drop and put it on their tongue, they're in for a real fucking good time. Following this fun scene that doesn't really seem to put any emphasis on importance to this movie, uh, we get some scenes of the crew kind of relaxing in their downtime. We've got uh, Call and Christy and Perlman uh, they're all hanging out together drinking. Uh, the little uh, Vress, he's out looking for parts. And then you got Elgin and his Chica there, where we finally get to see some A in this movie, at least, that's not Sigourney Weaver. Um, they're hanging out and being all lovey-dovey sexual style. Uh, then we get to go inside Creepy Doctor's uh, room, where we see a cage. And it's weird, because there's already, like aliens grown in there like they just burst out of the chests of these people a second ago not even that they got put in their bodies i don't know how much time has actually passed it could be a day could be two days i remember in the original film when william hurt's character got impregnated by the facehugger it didn't take that long for the chest burster to come out uh but at least took a couple hours uh where in this film it seems like they're already there and they're already fucking full grown which is intense so there must be something going on with that queen that's making these guys be able to grow so so fast uh one of the aliens decides that he's gonna go and put his uh put his stuff on the glass for the doctor there and we get this really weird scene you know he goes up to the glass he kind of puts his second mouth out and he's looking at him like hey want to make out and the doctor obliges it's weird. I didn't expect that to happen. Like, he puts his stuff up there. I understand the beginning. He's kind of trying to, like, I'm going there and I'm going to, you know, kind of look like them. I'm going to imitate the way that they move and that the way they use their mouths and all this stuff. But he literally, like, puts his lips up on the glass and makes this, like, kissing, like, motion. Why do you want to make out with an alien? Like, don't you understand that those things, uh, you know, their blood is acid. Uh, they'll probably just fucking kill you. They'll rip your face off. Uh, they'll stab one of the, their little mouth through the back of your head or through the front of your head or through your chest or through your balls or through whatever it is. Those guys are there to fuck you up. And But it really looks like this guy just wants to be one of those aliens so bad. Like, he just wants to be one. Like, he's really, he's a man on the outside, but he's a xenomorph on the inside. And later that night, he's going to go and he's going to cosplay with his whomever it is uh and he's gonna be the xenomorph and she's gonna be the you know or or he he could be the uh hapless human that you know he's gonna destroy but i digress so the xenomorph he pounds on the glass and scares the guy uh and which in turn causes creepy dude to smash on the button and release smoke Uh, it's smoke okay so the alien the, the xenomorph's worst enemy in the world is smoke not being shot not being uh, hit with a flamethrower not no missiles no cool mech construction thing breaking it apart 
smoke. Because that alien got fucking afraid of what was going on. And all you see is just smoke. I don't know if it's anything else. They don't tell you. You just see it. He gets all, Ooh, I'm going to back off. Ooh, okay, I won't do anything to you anymore. Like a dog that's been, you know, he's you just found him and he's chewed your best shoe and he's running away into the corner because he knows he's bad. The alien runs away because, oh my God, I shouldn't have done that and I'm going to get the smoke. Oh, boy. So we're back in what seems to be like the mess hall uh, and Christy, Pearlman, and Call are all sitting together and they're drinking whatever Pearlman brought. Uh, there's a really horrible gag that, uh, Call has boxing gloves on her hands because she doesn't want to grab the stuff that Pearlman brought, ultimately knocking it over because she's a little too tipsy and they get mad at her because they're wasting the thing. Yet Pearlman goes and smacks the other glass across the table, which throws it and ultimately wastes more fucking of your, whatever your alcohol is. And so she decides to leave, but really she's not drunk at all. She's just lying to them. Though she drank this stuff, uh, so either she's got a really high tolerance or something else is going on here. She enters, well, she goes around and she actually approaches one of the locks and she ha- Are you fucking kidding me? I, I said that as a fucking joke. She actually has a fucking key ring of different people's breath. She sprays like three or four on until she gets the right one to open up the fucking door. What kind of bullshit security do you have? Really? Really? This is like 300 years in the future, and the best thing that you could think of is, oh, hey, they have to breathe on. They have to go, okay, now, oh, I don't recognize your breath. Do it again. Oh, okay. Hey, guess what? You ate farva beans for lunch. Do it again. Oh, hey, Brian, you can now go ahead and access this room, and you can go in. Really? That is the technology that you're going to use in the future? And then she's so able to easily, like, manipulate and copy people's breath it's so ridiculous it's so stupid and she just goes right in and where does she go she goes into what happens to be ripley's cage uh how ripley is still in a cage is beyond me but here she is laying on the floor and she's approached by call who happens to wake Ripley up right before she thinks that she's going to stab her. Now, she's trying to kill her, is what you can obviously figure out here. But when she opens her shirt before she stabs her, she notices that she's got the scar along her stomach. And, of course, by partially taking off her clothes, she wakes up Ripley and they have a little bit of a conversation. Well, you going to kill me or what? There's no point, is there? They've taken it out of you. Where is it? Is it on the ship? You mean my baby? I don't get it. If they took it out, why are they keeping you alive? Well, they're curious. I'm the latest thing. Okay, and what you also might notice at this point is the way that the movie kind of goes from this point. Well, the way that it moves. It moves really slow. This is only about 30 minutes into the movie. And uh, even though quite a few things have kind of happened, a lot of it has just mostly been dialogue. And at least when some of the overactors are on the screen, it's a lot more energetic in terms of the way the acting goes, right? You're kind of more into it. But whenever you get annoying fucking Winona Ryder's call on the screen, and you get Ripley, 
I love Ripley. Ripley has been a badass character for a long fucking time. All through the first three movies. But here, she is incredibly boring. Everything is slow-paced or really awkward or really, like, low-key. The other thing is, is that everybody talks really low the entire time if they're not yelling. Everything is just raised up when they're yelling. But everything else is just like this. Ripley just talks. And she does these big pauses. Who am I? Where am I? I don't know what I am. This this is the type of dialogue that we get. It's really frustrating because series is so good. And this could be something to do with the directing and the fact that the guy doesn't really speak English. So they continue to have this conversation to the point that Ripley actually wonders who she is. Who am I? You're a sting. A construct. They grew you in a fucking lab. Now they brought it out of you. Not all the way out. And then when they get to that point, they're, they start to wonder. I can. She's like, I can feel it. And all I can think is, coming through the air tonight? Phil Collins? Did you help with this film? But no, 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 no. She can actually feel the presence of the queen. So she's got some type of hive mind type of interaction with all the different aliens or xenomorphs on the ship. I don't know why, I'm just used to saying alien that I might just continue, even though I know I should be saying xenomorph. Uh, But please forgive me, it's just easier to talk in that way. So Ripley tells her that she needs to get the fuck out of there because of course people are coming, and she's then captured by Dr. Ren's crew. Uh, They take him to the mess hall, they gather everybody around, well not the mess hall, the place where they play basketball, which I guess is the mess hall. Um, And calls them all terrorists you want to tell us what this is you want to tell me who you're working for what ren they got nothing to do with this to do with what do you know what the penalties for terrorist activity are no goddamn terrorists in my crew call there's something you want to tell me look i don't care whether you knew or not you brought a terrorist on board a military vessel and as far as i am concerned you all die with her do you understand Yeah, I understand. This is where they showed that they had weapons on them all the time. Okay, like you didn't know that this was going to happen. Of course, during that speech, you heard that little cheep, and that's these two guns that are coming out of Christie's hands. And, of course, Ron Perlman's cup of whatever, or his thermos of whatever it is, is some type of, like, shotgun. He takes out a couple guys, they take out a couple other... And then uh, Winona Ryder's call is caught and she has a gun to her head. And now comes another one of those ridiculous scenes where when I was a kid, thought it was cool. See it this time. It's not as cool. Um, But uh, Christy, he shoots his gun. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not call that has the gun to her head. It's Christy that has a gun to his head. And everybody's saying, oh, we're going to kill him. But he's able to somehow get off a shot that does these ridiculous ricochets. And this guy has to be a better shot than Deadshot was ever. Like, he's able just to look up and see, oh, hey, if I bounce it off this, it goes here. Maybe he should have been the one that was fighting MJ for those chicken nuggets. I mean, he could have easily gone to MJ and been like, okay, it's going to go off the the left column, uh, off seat 275, 
up to the rafters over there, hit off the big light scoreboard, and it's going to go in. Because basically that's what he does. He shoots it off the wall, shoots off another part, shoots off another part, hits part of the ceiling, comes down, and goes right through the helmet of the guy that has the gun up to his head. And the whole time, while it's being shot in the air, the guard should have fucking blown his brains out. Like, seriously. I I don't get it. Like, you're going to watch the whole thing ricochet to the point, Oh, shit, it's going to hit me. And then you're dead. But instead, you're just going to watch the gun go around. Or is the bullet that fast that it's just maybe we're seeing in kind of a slow down time so that we can see how the bullet moves? But really, it's going, it's going, and that's it. And then it shot him in the head and he went down. That's the only way I can think that he could not dodge it. <sighs> so... They end up, uh, you know, taking everybody hostage. And then we go back, favorite creepy doctor, for what is, in the theater, my favorite scene in this movie. So, the alarms go off because, of course, they've been fighting and they shot people. And that distracts Dr. Creep uh, to the point that he doesn't realize what's going on behind him. So, there are three aliens in the cell. And... For the longest time, I made up dialogue for these guys. Now, I'm not going to recreate that magic here because I don't quite remember the dialogue, but I know that it had something to do with Bob, Bill, and Joe. You see, Bob and Bill, they want to get the hell out of the cage. And Joe, he's been kind of a dick. And so, he's just kind of back there. Bob notices that, hey, the lock is on for the smoke, so... There's no way that, you know, I'm going to, we're going to get hit with anything. So how do we get out here, Bill? We got to think about this right and quick. Bill thinks about it and he says, hey, you know, Bob, I think that Joe over there, I think he deserves to die because he's been kind of a dick and he drank the rest of my beer. And so Bob goes, that is a good fucking idea. Meanwhile, Joe's in the corner and he's like, hey guys, what the hell's going on? Uh, you know... I'm sorry about that one time. I didn't mean to finish your beer. It's not like I slept with your sister or anything. What? You slept with my sister? No, I said I didn't. Bob, he slept with my sister. Go get him, Bill. And then they start, like, fucking fighting together. And they start, like, stabbing him with their mouths. And it's... And literally rip the, the alien open. Poor old Joe. His guts on the ground. But it's the smartest move ever because, of course, their blood is acid and it opens up a nice little hole for them to get out of. Of course, while this starts to go on, Creepo Doctor back there notices it's happening and he runs up and he unlocks. He realizes he has the button locked like an idiot. If you have those type of things in there, wouldn't you leave it open all the time? Or are you really just trying to cause this? Like, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean to cause this, but this is the way it's going to go. So he unlocks it, he hits the button, of course they're too far away from the smoke for it to do anything, and they disappear down the hole. This causes Creepo Doctor to go into the room and go look around and see where they went. He looks in the hole and he gets dragged into the hole, which has uh, the nurse in the room scream, and then we cut over to a quick cut, of call on the group and they're talking about what's going on he's conducting illegal experiments he's breeding some I sort of listen to me hope. he is breeding an alien species more than dangerous if those things get loose it's going to make the lacerta plague look like a fucking square dance. shut up so i'm arguing of what to do we cut back over into the room where there's a security guy where the aliens broke out of i should say 
and there's a security guy that's looking around, and he's looking around, he looks down into the hole, and then it cuts back into where the doctor was, and of course, there's dripping coming down from the ceiling on top of the button. Well, now that there's stuff on top of the button, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah, the alien's going to press it, and we're going to see how scared the human guy can get of this smoke. And it turns out, it's actually not smoke at all. It's liquid nitrogen. And you get kind of a cool death kill here at this point, because the guy gets frozen to the wall, which... Again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the xenomorphs were able to get away so quickly. And you think that when it started, he could have ran. But, you know, I understand maybe they're a little bit stronger than he is. Well, he gets frozen to the wall, tries to leave, and ends up breaking off part of his arm that gets left on the wall because it's been frozen solid. It's a really cool kind of little scene. Uh, But then, you know, there's nothing else more than, hey, we've got an emergency on our hands. And look, the aliens are killing people. And they're learning. So this is like Space Jurassic Park is what's going on. Instead of this being some site of, you know, amusement park for people to go to, you know, it's a military base, but, you know, they thought they can control the dinosaurs, I mean the xenomorphs, and instead they all got left feet free. And they learn like velociraptors. I, I cannot stress that enough. These guys are learning. So we go back over to the crew, and the crew are trying to get out of there. They're trying to get the hell away. And, of course, the crew's captain, he decides that he hears something and he's going to go down another hallway. Well, like the idiot that he is, of course, he gets killed by a xenomorph. He gets dragged into the ground. Uh, they try to save him, but uh, they end up seeing the xenomorph for the first time. Uh, they all kind of back into the corner, and then there's some noise from the hole as well. And the xenomorph looks down into the hole, and what pops up but a gun that blows its brains out. I also forgot to mention that there was a really stupid little scene with Vress. Uh, and in the beginning, there was a scene where Ron Perlman threw a um, a knife into his leg. And he learned that he's a paraplegic and he can't feel anything down there. And so he's, he actually tried to fight off an alien. Uh, and he got a bit of acid dropped on his leg. And then you learn, you know, that it's a pointless scene. Other than, hey, he might get killed or he might be saved. Who knows? what's going to happen at this point in the film. While all this is going on as well, we really do find out that this spaceship is Spaceball 1 because they start showing all these really interesting scenes, or well, not interesting scenes, but all these scenes of people running everywhere and it's kind of like, you know, the ending towards of it where we got to evacuate the school and we got to evacuate the circus. Don't forget the food court and don't forget, you know, they're, they're basically doing all that, but it's all military guys all evacuating. Uh, there's another scene where an alien goes into a pod uh, that's kind of neat because they roll a grenade perfectly. It's like bowling for uh, grenades uh, or for a- xenomorphs, I should say. And they're able to blow up the pod before it gets away. Perez is. But then another xenomorph pops in behind him and kills him. I also forgot about a scene where and it's going to become important later because I don't understand why it didn't happen later on in the film. But before uh, Ripley escapes, the xenomorphs are trying to break into the room. And she's actually able to rip the metal off the wall so that she can get the door to open on her side, the the hatch to open, so she can get out of it. Now, she also uses her blood. She cuts open her hand a little bit, throws the blood on some uh, electrical wiring, and that's able to allow her to get out. And that's how she ends up meeting with the group after their captain dies and is able to kill the xenomorph. Now... That means her strength's got to be pretty big, and, you know, hopefully that'll come in handy towards the later parts of the movie. The other thing that I want to is the xenomorphs themselves. 
Now, up close and personal, it's a practical costume, and it looks great. It looks just like the old H.R. Geiger uh, designs for both Alien and some of that were used in Aliens and, of course, Alien 3. Uh, but when it comes to the CG, you can really tell that it's dated. I think maybe when the movie was first out, I would have thought, hey, this looks great. But it really looks kind of weird against the film stock. It looks like it's a little too grainy and really shouldn't fit the scenes that they're in. Uh, I wish that they just had kept on using the practical effects. Because they use the practical effects for almost everything. And even the final alien that you meet in the film, it's a practical effect. I don't understand why for the regular xenomorphs they didn't use the practical effects that they were using so far. Uh, but, you know, some of it's decent, some of it's not. At least it doesn't look like Zilla. So, after the uh, poor alien has been killed by Ripley, they all start arguing with each other on what should be done next. What are we doing now, man? Anything we're doing, we get the hell out of here. What if there's more? I say we stay here, man. Let the army guys deal. Where the fuck are the army guys? They're dead! Well, then we don't need this asshole anymore! Step back! Now you step back! Stop it! You got no authority here! Doctor, that thing that killed my partner, that's her pet science project? Yes. Let me do it right I'm now, man! I'm you Let right now! Go, man! How many more are there? How many more are there? Twelve. Okay, now by my count... I think at this point there are, if he's including the queen, I think there's like eight or nine left. Because of the one that got grenaded, the one that was killed inside the cell, the one that Ripley just shot through the face, the one that was killed by Vares, uh, that leaves the first four down. So that would mean that there's at least eight left. And that's whether that's including the, the queen or not. So we have more aliens to look forward to is all I'm trying to say. There's also some of that great sexual tension between Perlman and Sigourney Weaver that also happened in this scene. So, who do I have to fuck to get off this boat? I can get you off. Maybe not the boat, but... Oh, ha ha ha, get it? He's gonna... (laughs) He's gonna fuck her. Uh, and that'll get her off, but it's not necessarily going to get her off the boat. Get it, guys? Mmm, manly, drink beer. So, of course, it's at this point that we get some of the whiny Winona Ryder scenes. Let's get out of here. Now, wait a second here. She was the host for these monsters. Ren cloned her because she had one inside her. She's not human. She was part of his experiment, and she will turn on us in a second. I don't give a shit what she is. She's too much of a risk. We have to leave her. She comes. We can't trust her. I don't trust anyone. We can't trust you. Oh my god, I can't. It's not fitting into my thing. She sounds like one of those freaking new age kids that want everything handed to them on goddamn planter. Oh. What a whiny little fucking bitch. Like, why did she choose to do the role like that? It makes no sense to me, to be honest. Because, for the most part, Winona Ryder's a pretty damn good actor. Beetlejuice is one of my favorite movies ever, and that's a film that she's great in. And she doesn't play this type of character. But for this, she's completely whiny all the dang time. 
So minus their cap, they're now along with Ren and some random Marine that's really freaking annoying for the rest of the freaking movie. So they're walking through the halls and they find out more of kind of what's going on from Ren and the fact that this ship is actually going somewhere that it shouldn't be going. We're moving. What? The ship is moving. I can feel it. The ship has stealth run. There's no way you can tell. She's right. The ship's been go since the attack. That's a standard emergency procedure. That's right. Any serious problem in the ship autopilots back to home base. And you were planning on letting us know this? Nobody asked. What's home base? Earth. Oh, great. Bastard. Earth. I'd rather stay here with the things, man. How long until we get to Earth? Three hours almost. We gotta blow the ship. Call. You're not blowing this ship. Not while we're on it, okay? You get out of the ship, you do as you please, all right? Earth, man. What a shithole. Yeah, you're pretty right, Ron. It is a pretty big shithole. And where did Ripley get these magic sensing powers? I mean, okay, so her blood is acid. She's able just to randomly sense shit. And especially when things are moving where they couldn't before because they're being stealth. Though there's no way. And also, Call is able to feel it as well. So you think that there's something weird going on between the two of them, but I'm not sure. I guess we'll have to find out a little later, but we also kind of know, and it's kind of hinted at already, that Ripley is possibly uh, part alien. Uh, well, part xenomorph and part human. So when they brought it back, even though they brought back the, you know, the body of Ripley together, um, they brought back, they couldn't get it quite right, like still some of the DNA mixed back and forth. And that brings us to our next scene, which is probably one of the better scenes of the film, uh, one of the ones that I really enjoyed, and it's, and it's an interesting scene, even though again, like most everything else, it just moves really slow. It's still kind of cool to see what happened to Ripley and how Ripley was done. So they come across this room as they're running away, and there's a bunch of different tubes that are in there. And as Ripley walks by, she looks over and she notices because some of them look kind of like her and she can also see that there's numbers on it and she looks down at the number eight on her arm and decides to take a stroll through this room and that's where we get to see all the failed versions of ripley there's all these different ones that have like are part human part uh, xenomorph uh there's ones that have like the xenomorph head but they got the human body or it's weird, uh, you know, parts of the face didn't get constructed right. And they're all really cool f- effects. If there's one thing that this movie has going for it overall is the makeup. The makeup is fantastic. The visual design of this movie is fantastic. And this is one of those scenes where it really gets to shine. And it's in the next part when she turns the corner and she sees a dying version of her that was used just to harvest the chestburster from her that you get that the, the, the emotion of the movie comes in because here's Ripley looking at a deformed Ripley and seeing what she could have been 
as well as the horrible experiments and what she didn't have to experience because she's the most complete out of all of them. Uh, Call comes in and hands her a flamethrower and she burns the whole fucking lab down, which ultimately upsets Ren. When she runs outside, she holds up the flamethrower to him. Call stops her, but she said she wasn't going to be doing anything anyway and walks off. Call punches her in her face and, you know, Ron, he gives the most heartfelt speech of the entire thing. What's the big deal, man? Fucking waste of ammo. Let's go. Must be a chick thing. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Yes, it must be a chick thing to see versions of yourself all tormented and tortured uh, because they wanted to get some type of uh, alien species out of you to use as a weapon. I'm saying this with all the best in my heart, Ron, but fuck off. <laughs> that's that's the worst thing that you could possibly do. We then continue on our journey to where they go into the room where all the people that were used as the uh, the hosts for all the different aliens uh, are along the wall with most of them put out. And they find out exactly what they were carrying. Um, and they also run into somebody... Uh, the character that goes by the name of uh, Purvis and he you know he starts freaking out what's going on because it's like he's just woken up and he sees all the people that are dead around him they start arguing about what to do with him and he starts freaking out even more to which Ripley gives her most realist statement to him What's inside me? No, there's got to be another way. What if we freeze him? What's in fucking inside me? The parasite! Oh, an element. There's a monster in your chest. These guys hijacked your ship, and they sold your cryo tube to this human. And he put an alien inside of you. It's a really nasty one. And in a few hours, it's going to burst its way through your rib cage, And you're going to die. I appreciate the fact that Ripley's being real about the whole thing. But man, when did she become such a bitch? I guess maybe after seeing the different failed versions of her, she has a different look on life. And she feels that she just needs to be truthful with everybody. But I don't remember her being this much of a stern motherfucker as she is in this film. I mean, she basically just tells it as it is and says, fuck off. So they figure out the only way that they can get through this. Uh, after, also, I should say that they did find Briss. I'm not going to, to, I'm kind of skipping over it because it wasn't really all that important. Um, other than that, he's come back to the group and uh, they got to, you know, they're moving along with him. Um, they end up having to go, they find through the kitchen, which has been flooded by, uh, the coolant system. And so Christy, he's going to have to take him and you put him on his back because they can't bring the chair with him. So when they jump into the water, and I think this is one of the scenes that probably was removed from the film because I don't remember it when I've seen this movie before, but there's this discussion over, how the, the disposables work. And the question I had at one point that I had written down in my notes was, how many shots does he have in those fucking guns? Because it seems like he's wasted a lot in the little two-hand disposable guns that he's got. And Ron really hasn't... He only used it once or twice. 
So, and he even picked up a rifle from one of the dead guys on the floor. So he doesn't have to worry about bullets, I guess, anymore. But this guy is still using those handguns. So the Marine and Christy, they end up actually having a conversation before they continue on into the kitchen. And I thought it was neat uh, just to hear the conversation because they actually answer a question that I had. And at the same time, the acting of the Marine guy is so, like, he's so geeked out. It's kind of cool, but it's bad acting at the same time. Here, listen to them talk about the disposable weapons. Yeah. Will your weapons fly in the water? Yeah, they're disposables. They can take it. Disposables. <laughs> hey, I heard about those. Yeah. How many rounds? 20. Split points give you a good hold, even at the smaller caliber. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> the big one hit is because you uh, throw them away after the job. Nobody likes to throw away a weapon in their past, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, he's talking like he's Chris Farley in those old Saturday Night Live skits where he interviewed famous musicians like Paul McCartney. So, uh, you, you were in the Beatles, right? Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, oh, yeah. That that's cool. That's the way he's talking about these weapons, and it's kind of neat, but it doesn't really need to be in there. So I understand if it was taken out of the special edition or the the regular cut, uh, and and didn't really need to be added into this. But it did give a little more about the world and it answered my question: How many shots does those fucking things have? I still wonder though: Is it twenty shots total, or is it twenty shots per? Because I feel like he's used a lot more than twenty shots in this film. I'm gonna believe that it's twenty shots per little handgun. Which is still pretty fucking cool for these little disposable things that retract into your uh, your arms and your coat. So they trudge along and they find out that here's the point where they need to start swimming. They start swimming through and I remember hearing something about how difficult this scene was to do for the actors to shoot it underwater. Because, uh, you know, even with some of the stunt personnel, they still had to use some of the regular actors to do some of it uh, as reaction shots. And it's kind of cool, it's, it's neat that it's done underwater, but of course, at this point, uh, one of the xenomorphs starts coming after them. And they gotta hurry up, and of course in this one, uh, Hillard, she is the first casualty of the xenomorphs in the water. She's caught by the one, she's dragged back, She, I assume she drowns or she's uh, beat uh, to death by one of the aliens. Something happens to her underneath the water, but you don't really get to see it. So... They get to the point where they can escape, but they there's this like cover on top of the water that they can't get through. Ripley is able to get there, and with her strength, she's able to rip and open this like membrane and allow them to come up. Where they notice that hey, there's nothing but eggs around here. So Trickshot McGee, uh, he decides to have another bet with MJ and says that he can take uh, two of the canisters and he can bounce them off of uh, George Foreman's grill. Uh, and then hit the the ladder that's there, uh, bounce it off uh, Michael Jordan's bald head, uh, and then it'll split the two shots because he's going to bounce one off the right side of the forehead and the left side of the forehead, and then that's going to fall in the two different pools of eggs and burn all the eggs together because they started to hatch. And I should also say that Ripley, uh, she got another face hugger on the face. I don't know if it left anything because they didn't say whether or not it did. And you kind of have to believe that it happened, but she struggled a lot. So 
I don't know what happened. And it's kind of a lingering question. And I wish there was something that they deleted that they added to there. Because at the end of the film, you know, we have to understand that if she did, that means she still has it. And wherever she's going, she's going to have another alien burst out of her. Which kind of sucks. So they managed to start getting up the ladder. And the alien, of course, uh, the xenomorph that kills Hillard, starts coming up that ladder after them. Uh, again, it's kind of bad CGI. Uh, and swimming under the water, I can kind of understand. Maybe can't do it. But on the, the stairs, it wouldn't look so bad with what they've used before as a practical effect. So uh, the gun jams. Before this happens, I should also say, is that um, on top, Ren gets up at the top and he's starting to try to kind of open up the door. But he kind of is not trying very hard to the point that he says, Oh, I need your gun. And of course, Call gives him the gun because she thinks that, oh, they're all trying to go to survive. And then he shoots Call and Call falls into the water. Everybody thinks that she's dead at this point. He's able to get out of there. And when the alien comes up, uh, before that, Vress, he fires a bunch of shots up at Ren. But everything misses and then his gun jams so when the alien starts coming up the ladder he's not able to shoot the alien uh instead christy's got to shoot it but he's literally like two feet away from him not even that it almost seems like he's on his fucking legs and he's not able to fucking hit him with any of the shots that he has left in his gun he's that close i understand that he's holding on he's got midget on his back or little person uh paraplegic on his back i should say but still He's such a crack shot at everything. He was able to hit that guard by bouncing shit everywhere. He was able to to fucking bounce it off Michael Jordan's head and get those two canisters to blow up those eggs here. But he can't shoot something that's two feet in front of him? Are you fucking kidding me? Then he's going to get shot in the face by acid because the alien is going to use his versions of the trick shots... And he's going to do a fucking rainbow of a shot up in the air over him and right into his face. Which is going to cause him to start getting blind on the one side and going pacing in pain. And he's going to drop down. But Vress, he's going to be the one that's able to hold on and keep them there. Uh, It's also at this point that Ron Perlman's character, he bends over uh, backwards in what seems like it's a cool move. And you would think, hey look, this looks pretty cool. To where it looks kind of silly. And he ends up shooting at the the Xenomorph. And he ends up killing it. Uh, When he kills it. Though at the last second. The Xenomorph grabs on to Christie's foot. So Christie is holding on. Being held on by Vress. And the alien. Dead alien carcass is holding on to Christie's foot. He should be able to get that thing off of it. He should. But he doesn't. Again. How fucking stupid is this first he can't do any trick shots to kill the alien itself then he cannot i mean he cannot get the alien off of his foot like it's dangling there all he has to do is just kind of do a little stanky leg and shake that fucker off of his foot and and then it goes into the water and you're done you're free then you help the guy get up no his decision instead is i'm just going to uh unattach the belts and fall to my death Okay, well, he does that, uh, they start climbing to the top, they realize they can't get out, they hear that more of them are coming, 
you know, now we're down to guy with the chest burster in his chest, Ripley, who comes out of the water, uh, uh, mid- well, paraplegic guy, Vress, and then Ron Perlman. So you're down to four people. They get up top, they can't open the door, can't open the door, then all of a sudden the door is open, and who is it? It's Call. And everybody's confused. And now we find out who exactly Call is. You're a robot? <laughs> Son of a bitch! Our little call is just full of surprises. I should have known. No human being is that humane. I thought synthetics were supposed to be all logical and shit. You're just a big old psycho, girl. You're a robot? You're second gen, aren't you? You're an autod. Robots designed by robots, right? Oh, that's right, I remember. Now, they were supposed to revitalize the synthetic industry. Instead, they buried it. <laughs> they didn't like being told what to do. Government ordered a recall. Now, I heard. I had, I had heard that only a few, just a few, had gotten out intact. Man, I never, never thought that I would see one. Great. She's a toaster oven. Can we leave now? So since they find out that Kali an android, they decide that they're going to use her to try to hack into the mainframe so that way they can get to the ship even faster. This also brings on one of the more extended scenes from the film. I believe the first part of it, of her actually going into it, is in the original film, and I couldn't quite remember, but I think the scene that happens after there's a couple of things that go on, that was something that was added to give a little more depth between Ripley and Call. Well, of course, she doesn't really want, Call herself doesn't really want to go inside the mainframe because she feels that it's not real, unlike the outside world, and she's just some other sort of monster. But Ripley is there to convince her that she needs to do it. You're programmed for that. Don't make me do this. Don't make me make you. I don't want to go in there. It's like my insides are liquid. It's not real. Get over it. You can blow the ship before it reaches Earth and kill them all. So she does eventually reluctantly go inside the system and shuts down Father, who is the main program for the ship. When Ren tries to go into the docking bay to go access the Betty, he's stopped by Winona Ryder, and it's actually kind of a funny scene that she does. Uh, she is able to open up all the doorways for them to get directly to the docking uh, parts and uh, is able to lock Ren off so that all the xenomorphs can go his way. This Now, this is the part that's a little bit of the extended scene, and it's kind of an interesting scene, and it's one of the times that you get a less whiny call. Why do you go on living? How can you stand being what you are? Not much choice. At least there's part of you that's human. I'm just... Look at me. I'm disgusting. Why did you come here? To kill you, remember? Before the recall, I accessed the mainframe. Every dirty little covert op the government ever dreamed of is in there. And this, you, the aliens, even the crew from the Betty, I knew if they succeeded, it'd be the end of them. Why do you care what happens to them? Because I'm programmed to. 
You're programmed to be an asshole. You're the new asshole model they're putting out. Come on. Okay, so you have this heartfelt scene that just happens there. She's kind of, I don't want to say bleeding her heart out, uh, because she doesn't really have a heart, but her prosthetic heart out. And at the end of it, you know, she has this thing, and I understand that maybe this is the one time where she's trying to lift her up with a joke, but it comes off so bad. It just seems like it's so forced, and it's like, oh, heartfelt scene. You're the new asshole model. Really, it's so just kind of forced and random in there that it's odd. Um, So they start to escape, but Ripley is actually dragged down at one point away from the group, and she lands where the queen is. Uh, The rest of the group, they continue on to the ship. Some weird, what seems to be like sexual tension between her and a xenomorph for what I believe to be the queen... I mean, it makes no sense. Like, everybody wants to make out with everybody, whether you're human or alien in this film. So she's kind of locked down there, and we meet with the rest of the crew. They make it to the Betty. When they make it to the Betty, uh, they start getting everything together and try to get everything turned on, and they're going to try to wait for Ripley and see if she's going to come back. But Ren randomly pops up on the ship, and... He is telling them that they need to leave now. We need to do all this stuff. You need to tr- to change everything back, um, you know, because she turned out to make the ship crash, and there's really only 40 minutes left instead of the hour and a uh, half that they had originally. So he's got them all backed into a corner, and uh, he actually shoots uh, the guy with the chest burster in his chest, Purvis. And y- you think that he's down, but at one point he starts screaming, and he gets up, and I guess he gets like... Uh, a real big rush of adrenaline because he gets shot like four more times by Ren but is able to grab him and does one of the coolest kills in this film where he grabs him from behind he puts his head up to his chest and the chest burster goes out of his chest through Ren's head and then is just like right there and it looks really cool again the makeup in this movie is fantastic and of course, the rest of the crew, what do they do? They end up killing and shooting the chest burst before it can go out and do any more uh, harm to everything. We then cut back into the uh, Queen's hatching area. And this is where we get one of the more creepier parts of the film. Because Creepy the Guy, he's hung up in like alien stuff. Uh, and then he starts talking about how great the Queen is. First, everything was normal. The queen laid her eggs, but then she started to change. She added a second cycle, so. So. This time, there is no host. There are no eggs. There is only her womb and the creature inside. That is Ripley's gift to her. A human reproductive system. She is giving birth for you, Ripley. And now she is perfect. So I guess they kind of swapped where Ripley got the acid blood and the alien strength. And then the queen, she got a womb so she can actually have a baby the human way 
And my big question here, who's the alien midwife? I mean, did they specifically, you know, I know there's all different types of xenomorphs out there. You know, you got like the bull, the scorpion, uh, the regular soldier guy, the queen. You've got all these different types. So did they evolve one xenomorph to be the midwife xenomorph now? Like, hey, we can have kids. We got to make sure. And then was it like, it doesn't really look like it's going to be a water birth. It's going to be a natural birth. And it's kind of a really disgusting natural birth. Uh, you know, so there should be somebody there to help deliver the baby, you know, because there's bound to be things like an umbilical cord and things like that that they need to either spit out or maybe the acid takes care of it. Maybe because, you know, the body's a little resistant on the acid to the acid that the umbilical cord's not. So once it comes out, all of a sudden, you know, she's pushing and while she's pushing, she's pushing acid to one clean out the baby. And I really need to not think so much into how an alien with the womb has a baby. So the baby is born. And we see it for the first time. You are a beautiful, beautiful butterfly. Okay, one, no it's not. It is the ugliest fucking thing I've ever seen. Two, all I could think about was a bug's life when I heard this thing. I am a beautiful butterfly. Like... It's so bad. Like, uh, this guy, it's over actor supreme here uh, doing this scene. And I don't even know what the point of the guy is. Like, he was in love with the aliens. He wanted to be one. Now he's a part of the consciousness. He's totally cool with it. Breeding a weird fucking alien-human hybrid that looks like a skull uh, with white, drippy, gooey flesh. It looks like it's melting off. It is disgusting uh to say the least and you say it's a beautiful beautiful boy or whatever it is not a boy but a beautiful butterfly well ripley she tries to get away because the beautiful baby here he actually kills the queen because he doesn't recognize the queen as his mother he recognizes ripley as its mother which brings some delight to the creepy doctor that's stuck in the goo so ripley starts to escape when he calls the baby over and the baby then bites down his head to feed on him and that gets ripley to leave the whole place so she's trying to outrun it to get back to the ship and she's able to at the last minute she jumps on the ship and she closes the cargo bay door she goes to the the front of the ship where she greets everybody hey i thought you were dead yeah i get that a lot why are we still here uh, i'm just uh, finding the uh Manual override. For Christ's sake. Hey, Ripley. Good memory. Excuse me. Ripley's back, man. Is that it? Nope. You can't fly one of these things, too, can you? Are you kidding? This piece of shit is even older than I am. Well, there we go. So they start to leave, and uh, they start having problems in the back where Call goes, and she goes to check it out. And lo and behold, guess who's back there? Why, it's the beautiful baby butterfly uh he managed to somehow get in there though most of the damn ship was or the the door was closed like how did he sneak in there like is he able to like bend his body like a cat like if his head can fit through the bottom then he can fit through the whole thing or did he just use his strength to lift it up and then close it down to a certain point because he knew somehow in his mind that that would get people back there it makes absolutely no sense to me 
because that thing was just birth and yet it has the cognitive skills of a velociraptor in Jurassic oh god this is the second fucking Jurassic Park reference I've made in this whole movie because the thing's able to fucking use handles the guy recognized what doors are he knows what latches are he's able to do these things that's what those things did in fucking Jurassic Park this is really stu- Joss Joss please listen to me keep making the movies that you've made uh, maybe they totally butchered your script and i know there was supposed to be another act that was going to happen on earth and everything was going to be grand but you know they decided not to go that route but even this is really dumb uh i i just don't get it so ripley goes uh into the back uh to see what's going on and it's because call's taking her sweet ass time getting that door closed and they can't enter the atmosphere with the door open Ron, go ahead and takes the the pilot, the co-pilot seat that Ripley was at. And meanwhile, Vress is flying the ship. Uh, I should say also before Ripley goes back, Army guy finally goes back. Marine goes back, and he gets slaughtered by the baby. She goes in the back, and she before he slaughters Call, or it slaughters Call, I should say. I'm, let's not give it a gender, okay? Uh, but. <laughs> Before he does, here comes Ripley in and she takes the role of mama. And the baby is just all fawning over and is happy and everything. And Ripley notices that there's a window and he she cuts herself on his teeth uh, or the acid. I couldn't quite figure out which one it was, whether it was the baby's acid or the baby's teeth. I think it was his baby teeth. But anyway, so she takes her blood and she throws it against the window, which slowly starts to crack and forms a hole in the window and it starts to suck the kid out uh into that spot she's able to hang on with call and we get probably the most disgusting thing that i've seen in this whole movie um and there's been some pretty gory good makeup and this is probably one of the ones that's the worst it's just because it looks so nasty but he slowly but surely, or it slowly but surely, starts getting sucked out the hole. And you see pieces of it going into space. And that's not the part that's bad. It's the stuff on the inside, because you get to see all the guts fly out of the thing. And then all of a sudden, they turn around and get sucked out the window. It's disgusting, because the thing looks as bad as it is already. And here it is, you're having to watch this thing be killed. And you see the face on it, too, and it makes you kind of sad because it's looking at it like, Mama, why? Why would you do this to your baby? I didn't do anything bad to you. I love you. And then he gets sucked out, and that's the end of it. Uh, And they end up in Earth's gravity. Now, this is also another part of the film that was added to this version because I remember it going them, them talking a little in the ship, and that's about it. But now... They actually fly into the planet because they're, you know, burning off whatever momentum they have. And they land on the planet itself. And then there's a big heartfelt talk between Call and Ripley that gets us towards the end of the film. So this is Earth, huh? This is Earth. It's my first time here. suppose the military will be sniffing around here pretty soon. But you're not too anxious to see them. Not really. You know, a person could get pretty lost around here if they wanted to. What do you think? What 
should we do? I don't know. I'm a stranger here myself. The camera then it pans up and you see the ruins of Paris. Uh, and which, you know, leads you to believe that there's probably more that's going to happen with this version of the film. Now, originally, uh, like I said, Josh Whedon wanted there to actually be a battle on Earth. So they would crash in the planet. You'd see more and there was more of that. But they decided to go this route with it. And, mm, eh, you know, it's different than what I remember. And with that panoramic scene of the Eiffel Tower being busted and the city being destroyed... We get the end theme of the movie, and we close out. So that was Alien Resurrection, the director's cut, or as known in some places, the special edition. Now, overall, this film, it's just really slow. It's a lot slower than I remember, and maybe it's partially due to the cut, but all in all, the cut is only seven minutes longer because they took a couple of things out and they added 13 minutes of extra footage. So they really didn't change the length of the film. It's just the pacing is really bad. Even the way the dialogue is done, it so many pauses in between when characters talk or when even a character talks themselves. Ripley, uh, Sigourney Weaver's Ripley, is notorious for that in the whole movie. She talks really low. She pauses a lot. And that's just the way that you do it. Even with Winona Ryder, unless she's being whiny as fuck... She pauses almost every time she does it. Or there's just a big pause between when this character talks and when that character talks. The action itself, it's not terrible when it happens. I mean, it's a little over the top and ridiculous on a couple of scenes, but they're not really big action set scenes. For the most part, it's them running around inside the belly of the ship. The real big action scenes that you have are the the water scene, underwater scene where they're swimming and then... A little bit later, the alien shows up. Or when everybody's evacuating the entire station spaceball style. That's probably the most exciting scene in the film. My favorite scenes, of course, are the ones that are just, you know, kind of small and, and link more to the characters themselves. The alien dialogue scene, that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Just because it reminds me of seeing it for the first time. And there's a lot of stupid, you know, things that you could say during the middle of it. But the scene makes sense and it's very smart. The scene where Ripley sees all of her past uh, experiments is fantastic. That is, if I have to be serious about a scene, my favorite scene in this entire film. The ending is very lackluster. Even with adding this new ending to this version of the film, it still doesn't change the way that it is. I can kind of understand why the original director preferred the theatrical version to this director's cut slash special edition of the film that was created for it but overall it's not it's not that good of a film it, just in general 
Now, the big comparison, which I said before I do, is with this and Alien 3. And honestly, I don't think Alien 3 is a bad film. I think it's a little slow, too, just like this film. But it reminds me of a lot of the first film. It reminds me a lot of Alien. I know there's some really cheesy parts to that movie, too. And when I asked, uh, you know, for the vote between these two movies, everybody chose this one probably because it's, you know, the more... Uh, technically so bad it's good version of the two a lot of people don't like alien 3 you know and i'm one of the few that do actually enjoy that film um it's it's got a lot of character building it is slow i know the rock or not the rock but rock is in it um and it's a little weird to kind of get through and the whole thing of the alien birthing from the dog is a little weird but in general i i don't know i just i enjoyed the film and i thought it was a nice close to the series whether it was a good film uh, or a great film, it's not. Um, it's mediocre, but it's not, like I said, Alien 3 is not terrible. But compared to this, it's such a better film. I just feel like there's just some action pieces that really aren't action pieces. It's slow with having these pieces in there. It's slow with the beginning part, like where you're supposed to get drawn into the film. I was bored out of my mind. I was still bored out of my mind getting towards the end of this film. You know, the characters aren't very good. I love Ron Perlman as an actor. I love Sigourney Weaver as an actor. Winona Ryder has done some pretty good films, but none of them could carry this film. And it sucks. It sucks that Sigourney Weaver was this terrible, but it was also the direction that she was given. And when it comes from third party, because you have to listen to somebody speaking English who you know translating from somebody who's directing you in french it's hard did everything come over properly was it the way that he wanted how many takes did you get tired of the takes i'd really like to know some of these questions and you know it'd be great to have them answered by the people that worked on the film so i'm giving this movie in terms of the gore factor it's a four out of five there are some really cool scenes the chest burster through the head scenes really cool uh, the destruction of the alien so that he can put the uh, acid on the floor so they can get out. It looks great. The practical effects are great. The death scenes, they're they're good overall. There's a couple that are kind of shitty and stupid. Um, but for the most part, it's done well. And in most of it's practical. It's great. I, I absolutely love it. And the makeup design for a lot of the stuff in this film is fantastic. The Crap Factor, it is a 3 out of 5. It's got some good performances. It's got some terrible performances. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it moves along. Um, it's not terribly crappy because the makeup is so good. But the CG is just a little outdated. And that's not anything the film can do. Because at the time, I bet you it, it probably looked like the best thing that you had seen on the, the screen in a while. Compared to some other movies. The fun factor, though, this is a 1 out of 5. To me, it's just not a very fun film. It's got some good little quips of dialogue here and there. Um, and But most of them you see in the trailer, honestly. Like, I could have just played the trailer for last week and most of the scenes uh, that we discussed in the film today just a little bit at, at length. But it's just not quite there. Um, so... In total, overall, I'm giving this two face huggers out of five. It's decent for the Alien franchise. It's the worst one for me, personally. Some people probably really like this. Um, and I wish that it could have gone, you know, 
better. Uh, I wish my nostalgic filter had been stronger for this because I remember quite liking it when it first came out, and then I didn't like it as much. Like the ending, I totally d- did not like. I did not like the human alien hybrid. I thought that was dumb. I thought they should have stuck with just doing something with the queen and do maybe doing some more like aliens. You know, nobody's recaptured the magic of aliens. Alien is a good film, and everybody seems like they want to go back to that. But then you go to Aliens, which is a great action film, and nobody's tried to make a Alien film like that. Well, I maybe there's one exception, which we might talk about later. But a movie like Prometheus, where it's not really about the Xenomorphs, um, though it's somehow connected, uh, it's still that was a to me a much better film than this was. Um, and a lot of people may not agree with that as well. But I'm looking forward to seeing Alien Covenant, I believe that it's called, which is the continuation of Prometheus, and then seeing what Neil Blomkamp can do, and I probably butchered his last name, but what he could do with his next vision for the movie uh, Alien franchise. And it looks like it might go back more towards Aliens. And Sigourney Weaver will be in it as Ripley, so I am fucking ripped out on that one. Well, for next week, well, I necessarily next week, for the next episode of the podcast, we are going to get in on that Friday the 13th theme with our first film. One of my favorite horrible Friday the 13th movies we're going to do first. I'm kind of going out of order. A lot of people maybe wanted to do one of the earlier ones, but I want to start with part eight. Um, I am only doing two right now, so I'm going to warn you that there will be two Friday the 13th movies in a row. Uh, Part eight is first, Uh, but I'm not sure which one I want to do for the second film. I know there's one that some have asked me to do, but I'm not quite sure I want to do it because a lot of people have done it and they've done it really well. And uh, I haven't seen a whole lot on part eight. That's why I want to do this one first. But if you're interested or you have a Friday the 13th film uh, that is not Freddy versus Jason, that that is something different. That is a verse film. Um, you can make the suggestion. The only one that I will not do is the first one because I consider that to be a horror classic. I'm willing to do the remake. I've never seen it, uh, but uh, I won't do the very first Friday the 13th movie because that, that one is is great, um, and I really don't have anything bad. It would be really nitpicking for me to go through that one. So you can always send your suggestions over to uh, on Twitter. It's T underscore T underscore podcast, at T underscore T underscore podcast, 
or send the suggestion over to the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash terribleterrorpodcast. Or you can always email us too, terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com, and tell me what Jason movie you'd like me to do. I can do any of them. Like I said, I'm not really interested in doing the very first one, but I could do the remake or do from two uh, to ten, but eight is being done first. And ten is the one that I'm a little iffy about doing because a lot of people have done it and they've done it so well. Uh, though putting your own spin on things is also a good idea. Um, so that's it for this week. Uh, the film, uh, the Friday the 13th film is available on iTunes. It's available on Amazon Instant. I don't think it's available for Prime customers, uh, but you could always rent it for, I believe it's three ninety nine. In some cases it's two ninety nine, uh, And I believe there might be a rental for it on YouTube if you really want to watch it. Uh, so that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.